Curtain going up. Curtain going up. Places, please. Officer, stand by. Ladies and gentlemen, she comes to you from the cornfields of Indiana. She loves the Constitution more than she likes most people. Allow me to introduce Shouse in the House. Okay, so I have so much that I want to talk about. First, I want to kind of introduce you a little bit. Everybody, this is my friend Rodney. We have been following one another back and forth on Twitter for, I don't know, probably a year now. And I I wanted to have this today. Everything is kind of erupting. There's been so much, like even from since the point where I was like, hey, you want to do a podcast together? And it's just like stuff keeps happening so fast. I I think that's the joy and the the bad part of actually trying to do a political current events podcast is stuff moves so fast. By the time you can schedule and get on the phone with somebody, you get to the point where so much has already changed since you guys even had your first discussion. It's so overwhelming. It's just like when we're ready, oh, let's talk about this. And then as soon as we're about to get ready to call, something else happens. Yeah, it's exactly. It's so overwhelming. Especially it this is. week. It's been very overwhelming. So let's. Let's start first. I I want my audience to know who you are, where you're at, what you do, you know, where you came from, that kind of stuff. So I'm going to kind of give it over to you for a little bit in the beginning and then be more interactive with the conversation. So please tell me who is Rodney. So, my you know, my name is Rodney and I am a mechanical engineer, uh, born and raised in California. And I live in I'm California. so sorry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Oh, uh, so, you know, actually, I am sorry, too. You know, fortunately, I have to be living there. You know, I was only a few hours away from Arizona. I was just like, why couldn't it be Arizona? But, right. you know, unfortunately, California. So I was born and raised in California, and, you know, obviously, it's one of the most uh, liberal places you can live in. And uh, ironically, I lived in the most liberal city for a while, uh, Berkeley, California. Okay. And so, you know, I was 26 years old. My mother came from Central America. My father's African American from Louisiana. And, you know, well, how about uh, two, that? Different, two different upbringings. So, so, wait, hold on real quick my, before you go too much further. How did your parents meet? Like, how did that relationship come to be? Um, so, I guess they worked in the same place I, uh, in the corporate office. And okay. And I guess, um, you know, my mom. She was previously married, and her husband died, so she moved to America, I believe, in the 1980s during the Cold War. And um, so that's how my mother and father met at work. You know, you know the biggest rule is don't marry co-workers, but, (laughs) you know, 26 years later, they're here. So so that's how my parents met. Unfortunately, you know, they divorced when I was uh, 16 years old. Um, They're both still in my life, so, you know, they're, they're my parents, and that will never change. And, um, you know, I'll never, you know, I'll always, you know, love them for the upbringing they gave me, even, uh, for the freedom of thought. Uh, you know, like I said, my family that came from the South, you know, a lot of them very conservative. And my mother, um, coming from a very liberal, she's very liberal. So, but she still gave us the freedom of, you know, uh, of free thinking, you know, which is, by the way, for like, for myself, for African American, you know, free thinking in the black community is very taboo. You can't, it's very hard to free think for blacks. We're going to talk so, about that. So don't go too far into yeah, that yet. Not too far. Not too far. So, um, you know, that's so I relocated to Chicago for work. They moved, moved me out here. So um, Chicago is slightly a little bit better than California, but, you know, it still kind of feels the same policies, mm-hmm. the same uh, regulations, the same, you know, um, drive management of the city, <laughs> the taxes. You know, taxes is 
just as bad as in California. So, um, so this is basically who I am. Just you know, I'm just short, simple. Um, you know. So where did you go to? You are a mechanical engineer. What drove you in that direction? What school did you go to? Tell me a little bit about that. How was college for you? So I went to uh, UC Irvine, and UC Irvine is um, majority people from China and India. And, okay. You know, um, so going to UC Irvine, it was very, you know, it felt like an outcast, like I said, because, you know, it's mostly Chinese and mostly Indian. Right. And, but, you know, the beauty of that is a lot of Chinese and Indians are very hardworking, smart people, so that pushed me into, you know, competing with them. Sure. And got into, me- got into mechanical engineer because I've, for some, I've, haven't been really good with, um, you know, English or, you know, as far as other stuff. And, but I was very excellent in, uh, science and, um, mathematics. So, you know. Yeah, we're the opposite. I am horrible at math. I still, I'm a finger counter. My daughter with this whole new common core math thing, I am just blown away by her when she sits and she does like the, okay, the tens, the one hundreds, and then you do the ones, and then you add it to the tens, and she's doing all this math in her head so fast. Right. Even sometimes I catch myself having to go, is that right? And I'm, like, checking on Well, yeah, they, you know, they, they you know, I, uh, back in my, in my time, you know, in, or obviously in the, when I was in fifth grade, you know, they used to have that table where you have to do your multiplications, like, in a matter of minutes, you know, it's more right. multiplication problem. So, um like I said, yeah, you know, kids nowadays are having math problems that I don't even recognize. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Do you so, have kids? Uh, no kids. So thankfully I have no kids. You know, I plan on being a father, you know, hopefully in a couple of years when life is settled. But the way life is looking right now, it's pretty hard to uh, bring kids into the world. And sure. So. Well, I just um, brought one in. I've got a one-year-old and then I have an eight-year-old. So. Oh, well, congratulations. I, yeah, they're, they're, uh. Striving and thriving. <laughs> um, you know, okay, go ahead. You know, they say with the, uh, well, just be ready for the two-year-old. You know, they say the terrible Tuesdays, that's where it kicks in. Well, he just, he's not even quite one yet. On June 6th, he turns one. So I have at least a year before the terrible twos. Oh, <laughs> well, I've got, I've got to be with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's talk about first, because obviously, even though you are what we would say mixed heritage, you are still considered a black man in America. Like if I look at a photograph of you, I know you look like a black man to me. So Absolutely. So, you know, like especially with like it doesn't, you know, especially if you speak Twitter, you speak Arabic or French or, you know, um, what's it called? You come from a country like Algeria or whatever. Wherever you go there, they're going to look at your skin color first before they look at your culture, your heritage, or anything. So, right. Also, I identify myself with, um, with uh, black primarily. Okay. So, talk to me a little bit about, because I am obviously melanin challenged. So, talk to me about what it's like being a black man in America. So, just no politics, just you, your skin color, walking down the street. Talk to me you about know, what that experience is like. That experience, um, being a black man in America, obviously, you know, there's a lot of difficulties going through a black man in America, but I also look at myself, I try not to be a, uh, a victim of, you know, of anything. So, um, 
you know, like I said, uh, surprisingly in California, it's very racist over there. And people are surprised. They say, what? California racist? California is very racist over there. It's nothing different from going to, you know, other states. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, you know, I grew up, I went to a high school, Norwalk High School, and it was a small minority of blacks and, you know, a large uh, population of Hispanics. So, um, especially other cities neighboring it. And I, when I grew up, it was not mostly black and white. It was black and Hispanic, mm-hmm. which is, you know, so very different from others. Um, right. Uh, you know, I used to go to my grandma's house in uh, Compton and it's a half black, half Hispanic neighborhood. And, you know, most of the, you know, racism uh, usually stem or came from uh, Hispanic, um, usually gang related, but, Overall, like I said, it came from Hispanic. And I know a lot of good Hispanic people, so I don't want to say they're all racist or anything. Um, right. But I don't think you can say that about anybody. I don't think you could say all white people are racist, all black people correct. are, you know, and I feel like that's a big part of our problem as a country is the overgeneralization. It's the generalization. That's right. Yeah. And, and so that's why, like I said, I try not to generalize. There's good and bad people um, everywhere you go. And, you know how there's a social media age where a lot of people think, you know, oh, okay, it's all white people are that, all white people are this. Like, if you think all white people or all Hispanic people or all black people are, you know, bad, you need, you need to just log off and step into the real world and see yeah. people. Yeah, go meet so, somebody. Right. It's just like, at least, you know, take a state-to-state uh, trip. You'll actually be surprised, you know, how many pe- good people are out there. It makes you forget about how social media is. But, um or the media in general. It doesn't even have to be social. Just turn on the news for five minutes. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, like I said, media is, you know, the most powerful tool right now. Yeah, because um, you're told who to hate. You're told who to like. You're told who to vote cool. for. And especially the fact with, like, the media, there's so many outlets, and it's only controlled by, what, six people now? Yeah, exactly. And, um, and a lot of people don't so, know that. There are so many people yeah. who don't know that. Yeah, it's controlled by six people and um, six corporations and um, what's it called, you know, especially when you go to other countries like the UK, the most powerful media is the sun. And they are also the ones that, you know, just, they have to control most of the, the news narrative in the UK and other countries. And mm-hmm. so, um, but yeah, like I said, um, that doesn't affect me, uh, you know, for media telling me who to hear, who to like, but um you know, going back to my uh, childhood and growing up as a black man, you know, like I said, it, it was, uh, I've seen a lot of stuff which is related to, you know, racism with black and Hispanic. And, you know, a little here and white, but... Um, tell me one of those stories. Know. Like, tell me one of those experiences that you had, because that's, I think that's the problem is that as a white person I, or white people in general, we don't live those experiences. I don't walk outside and get made to feel bad for being white. So talk right. me through one of those scenarios and, and tell me now as an adult, do you still experience that? Do you walk through a Walgreens or a Target or a Walmart and feel like somebody's watching you because they think you're going to steal something? Like talk to me about how as you've grown up, because something I haven't told anybody on here yet, but I mean, you are also a conservative black male, which I, they've probably That's right. done that if you're on here with me, but, but how did that transform? Because there, the majority of 
black people are not conservative. They do not believe in they, well. They don't vote conservative, but they believe in well, conservative values. You, you know, <laughs> yes, you know. I was just going to say that a lot of black people don't realize how large portion of, especially for the mothers and fathers, are conservative. And you know, like I said, they are just like white conservatives. They go to church every Sunday. They are a lot of more pro gun. You know. Um, you know, a lot of more separatists and stuff like that. But like I said, a lot of blacks did not uh, know that they are conservative. But um, as far as growing up with, like I said, my experiences as a childhood and then transition to adult and viewing racism, um, my race racial experience, I guess I went to a, um, what's it called? What, I think it, was at a, it was a grocery store. It's called a food for less, and it's right by my house. And I remember, you know, filling up my basket and, you know, with groceries, obviously. And... I remember just seeing the same person other every other aisle and um what's it called? As soon as I get as soon as I get to the checkout area, I remember seeing one of the cashiers down and saying, Oh, um, we don't accept food stamps. I'm like, What? She's like, uh yeah, we don't accept food stamps. I'm like, What do you mean? Uh, I was like, I'm paying cash and she's like, Oh no, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, you know, uh, a lot wow. of you guys uh pay pay with this. I'm like, No, uh, that's not what I'm gonna pay for. So um, I was young at the time. I was only I was maybe like twenty twenty one, and like I said, uh, you know, that was like the first start of it. And then obviously when I went to the um, uh, I went to the CVS one day, and I went to the store and left. And I remember seeing a lot of cop cars. And when I got there, I remember the police was looking at me. He's like, "Come here," and and I went over there. I obviously complying with everything he says. And he, I remember he just grabbed me and, you know, slapped me on the, on the, on the roof, on the car roof. Mm -hmm. And then they were saying, oh, um, it was a Hispanic cop, by the way. And they handcuffed me and they threw me in there and I didn't know what was going on. And so they put me in front of the light of the, of the, um, of the cop car, uh, identifying me. And they were like, I remember one of the cops were saying, oh, this is not the guy, but, you know, they, they kind of look alike. And then so I was like, I was like, what was this about? I was like, oh, there was a robbery in the store, and there was someone that looked just like you. I was like, okay, maybe a coincidence. And I was just like, oh, it's because it's not a, um, not a lot of black people here, so it's easy to narrow you people down. I was just like, really? I was, just, I was like, wow. I was like, okay. So, you know, they let me go and whatnot. And uh, like I said, it's just like a lot of Did they apologize to you? Did they say they, 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 they didn't even they did not They did not apologize. They were just telling me, like, <laughs> get out of here. I was just like, you know, um, but like I said, it's just, it's, you know, racism in, uh, in California is more verbal and than it is in other states, mm -hmm. you know, systemally. Um, right. But like I said, like, I don't take myself into being a victim, um, especially with, you know, when I got my, when I might got my job and I see the mostly white people, you know, in the administrative areas. And so, you know, I didn't look into saying, okay, why is there no black people in this, um, in the administration board, you know, and right. you know, all the lower, all the lower people were either Hispanic or black or white or not, and all the, you know, management, they were white. Mm -hmm. So I didn't complain about that. So I just thought about, you know what, let me, you know, uh, so four years later, yeah, so I became, they moved here to Chicago and I'm the one fully in charge of the whole place. So, you know, like I said, I got myself up there. Very exciting. So you, instead of looking at that system, you know, the white man on top of you, you looked at that system and right. saw it as an opportunity for you to be on top. That for, yeah, that's, so that's for me to be like, you know what, let me break the barrier. 
And, and is that something that you think fundamentally came from the way that you were raised? Or yes. do you think that's just inherently in you as a person? Talk to me a little bit about what drove that motivation for you. That It drove me into, in there because, um, what's it called? I was smarter than a lot of our other engineers mm-hmm. and a lot of our administration boards. So um, the way I inherited it, like I said, is I remember telling my mother, you know, you know, this place is mostly, you know, uh, white. The owner is Italian, so um, it was mostly whites up there. So my mom used to tell me, you know, she's the one that pushed me to say, you know, um, don't complain, just break that barrier. And that's the motive that she gave me. She's telling me to break the barrier and, you know, push yourself up there. And um, so, like I said, I just, you know, worked hard and, you know, I bring all these good ideas into our management, our CEO. And then, um, I, yeah, so I became, you know, one of the big, you know, in the management in a fraction of a time from the other whites, you know, a lot of the whites up that were in the in the administration boards, they were, it took them maybe, you know, seven, eight years to get to where they were. And I was able to do it in two years. So That's so awesome. Like said, Congratulations. So, uh, thank you so much. You know, it was, it was hard work, but like I said, it's, um, you know, if I would have felt the victim, I would have just, you know, told myself, you know, they're not giving me a chance. They're not giving me this and this and that. So um, that's why I don't like taking the victim mentality. I just take mm-hmm. that, you know, let me see what I can do with mentality. And these are my results. I So this idea of victim mentality, since you brought it up, I feel like right. it's almost not even a black, white, Asian, Hispanic thing. I feel like the right. victim mentality is almost a generational thing. We've gotten I to the point. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. We've we've just we've gotten to the point where we've put ourselves in a position where it's like, man, if I just sit here and cry foul, maybe I'll get what I want. It's it's like almost like a toddler. It's like every adult that <laughs> not that I know, that's probably <laughs> an extreme right, generalization, right. but but, you know, I, I'm technically, you know, based off of my age, a millennial, but still at the same time, many of the people on the lower echelon of my generation, I just, I see them on Facebook. I see them complaining, thinking it's going to get them somewhere. And I just, right. I wish that somehow they would quit. <laughs> you know, that a lot of the victimization stands from them you know, to giving up on what they wanted to achieve. And um, like I said, there's a famous quote by uh, Nikola Tesla who says, I have not failed. It's just a 10,000 ways I didn't work. So those people try so many times and so many times and they fail, but knowing that there is a way to get to what they want to achieve, but they just give up and blame the system for, um, you know, their their own failures. So they just victimize and say, you know, capitalist system, they're not, you know, this and this and that. And, it's just, you know, ridiculous to believe they want to make the subject. They want to be oppressed. They want to oppress themselves so bad right. and become victims to themselves so bad. Like It's just very, you know, overwhelming to even think like that. So do you feel like, like I'm watching as over the course of the last week, as this stuff has, right. has transformed with the murder of George Floyd, which, I mean, there's been three what I would consider high-profile cases where it's really, really hard to see how any of them are justified. 
Um, locally, obviously, we've got the Breonna Taylor um, murder where yep. the police, I don't know if you know much about the story, but the police were serving what's called yeah. a no-knock warrant. And right. I, it's my understanding, and again, you can only go, you get very little information from the police department right now. Um, I guess right. they were going after her boyfriend, and he was yeah. part of what was suspected to be like some sort of drug deal. Drug dealing. Right. And, but the crazy thing is, and this is the part that's just fascinating to me. So Taylor's home was considered part of the warrant because she was, well, not she, but they were expected or suspected of having received drugs at that house. But they had already detained the person that they were originally searching for. They already had him in custody when they went Correct. to Taylor's so, house. So the the drug dealer of uh, his name was uh, Jamarcus Glover, and okay. they suspected because there was a uh, a ten mile connection between Jamarcus Glover and Rihanna Taylor's home that they were using the house as a um, a trap house, basically, you know, a house to store their you know drugs and weapons and um, cash. So like I said, Rihanna uh, Taylor, she was an EMT and she was a nurse and she was aspiring to be a nurse. She was my age, um, 26 years old, and, you know, like I said, they barged into her house at 12.30 a.m., but what threw me off was they did not say that um, it was police. So I think her boyfriend grabbed the gun because he thought it was going to be a self-defense scenario that somebody was bar- breaking into their home. Right. And so obviously the police opened it, you know, they, with the battery, they ran the door through, and I believe her boyfriend opened fire and shot one of the police in the lakes. And that resulted into, you know, uh Bianca Taylor getting shot eight times. Eight times. Is, you know, eight times. That's like that's literally you're holding that's almost emptying the whole clip. Now, you know, most right. people carry a a beretta a beretta and nine. I believe that holds twenty one rounds or something like that. I'm not sure. And um just noting eight of them just in that's just, you know, it, they blacked out, and it's just eight times. And, yeah, this is a very sad story because they go so many ways. Like, they, the one side is, you know, for a warrant, and the other side is just, you know, they thought it was a, a self-defense in there because they did not say it was the police. And, you know, most, and they were they even asked, who is it? And if they, they even um, said, oh, if it was the uh, the police, they would have just dropped, you know, put down their gun and let them in and see what's going on. So, um, yeah, and I think those no knock warrants, I understand why they've got them there. I, I get the purpose of them is to prevent people from, you know, destroying the stuff that they're there to take. But, right. I mean, at some point, is the stuff you're there to take more important than the life that you just took? It's that's what's sad for me. You already had the person you were after in custody. So if some cocaine goes up in flames, I'm pretty sure saving that woman's life was more important than that. So I right. It's I feel like logic sometimes doesn't play a huge role. Um George Floyd, of course, that whole situation is the yeah, most hard. I is a ter- I couldn't finish watching terrible. the video. I couldn't watch that video or the Ahmad Arbor. I couldn't watch either one of them. The George one, the that was, you know, like I said, I 
was basically breaking point for a lot of people in this country. Yeah. Uh, especially when it was recorded. You know, that's the thing. But Well, you know, and you know what? what? It, I, I watched part of it. I couldn't watch him take his last breath. I had to turn it off before it got to that point. But watching right. the cop's face, and I don't know if, I mean, in in what I watched, it's like he keeps digging his knee down harder on his neck while looking at the camera like, what? Like, I can do this if I want yes, to. Yeah, I'm doing this. Yeah. It was so um, the maliciousness behind it. And and now I guess it's come out that these two actually work together for a lot. He worked at that nightclub for 13 years. Right. So they knew each other. And here's the crazy part. I, um, You know, obviously don't want to, you know, uh, generalize. The uh, Asian cop right next to him who was standing, I believe he, he is um, married or something like that to the cop who has a, his knee on the on uh on George, um, his sister and that cop are married. Mary. If I'm not That's mistaken, true. yes, that was another one. Like they, all these people just happen to know each other. Yeah, it, and I and well, she's filed for divorce now, but I feel like there was a lot more there than just oh, this is a a cop who who got it wrong, who he purposely kept his knee on that poor man's carotid artery and he purposely killed him in the name of, oh, I was just detaining him. No, you weren't. Well, you you know, I think with the whole thing with his wife, I think she just divorced him so uh, people could think that she has no association with him. I think she felt, you know, that is still her husband, but obviously on media and paper, you know, there's still – just to make it seem like okay, this is an evil man. I'm married. I'm divorced. You know, I think just them together and whatnot. But this is just to you know protect herself from the mom sure. going to her house. And um, but like I said, this is a a very unfortunate situation. This is a very uh unjustified situation to where you know it all you know this is all under the police chief's watch and also yeah. the mayor. Yeah, and that's the other like thing. So. When we and then the Ahmad Arbery case, I want to make sure that we give credit to him as well in his untimely death. I I think those yeah. circumstances are again a little bit more convoluted than either one of the other. The other two cases are just simply bad police work. The case for Ahmad Arbery is, you know, as more information has come out, maybe he was stealing something from that house. Who knows? I I can't speculate, and neither can anyone else. But that still right. doesn't mean that man deserved to lose his life. Like, you are not judge, right. jury, and executioner. And I think that a big problem with a lot of these police departments is the union red tape that's behind all of it. So... Look how long it took to make arrests in the Arbery case. Look how long it took to arrest the police officers who killed George Floyd. And the only reason, in my opinion, that that ended up happening, that those people were taken into custody, was because they wanted the public to see that. It wasn't because they believed they should be putting those cops behind bars without the investigation. But you and I, you and me... If we're caught, you know, killing somebody on the side of the street, we don't get to sit and chill at our homes on paid administrative leave. We go into jail until we pay a bond for them to let us out. 
Exactly. So this is a paid administrative leave. It's like, you know what, here, take a, take a little break. I'm still going to pay your bills. Just, you know, go ahead and go, you know, just go out the country, let it cool down, come back, you know, look at your job back, same position. So. Right. But as I said, this, this is, uh, you know, unfortunately, this is uh, spread all the way out to other countries. I want to go into, um, for example, Canada. So what I say with Canada, like in America, what's going on, you know, when America gets the cold, Canada gets the sniffles, you know. <laughs> um, police in Canada are just as brutal and just as disorganized and just as poorly trained as the ones that mostly in America. But what intrigues me is um, a lot of these most brutal, most wicked police departments are in the blue states. You know, I don't want to you know, jump deep into that, but it's mostly in the blue states like New York, uh, police department, Chicago, Baltimore, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, um, San Francisco, Detroit. These are all Minneapolis. These are all blue ran states, poorly ran and just terrible police chiefs that they have appointed. And, you know, a lot of, you know, it goes two ways of saying, you know, if it's going to be a racing, it's going to be this and this and that. But, you know, I think a lot of those police chiefs as well, they're black. And like I said, they're allowing all this to, under their watch and just terrible training. Like I said, they have no type of, you know, um, no type of, uh, you know, discipline in their training. And even Rudy Giuliani, who criticized, you know, very hard on these police uh, chiefs in their training. Um, you know, like I said, a lot of these mayors are just, you know, they're unfit to run, uh, you know, a large city, you know, with this kind of population. So what's the answer? Like, okay, more training. Well, that means more money, and I don't feel like giving more money. But I I also feel like it's the type of stigma that comes along with police officers. They're, quote, unquote, law officers. When did we move away from maybe, like, peace officers? And when did we get to the point where so many of the police officers that are serving in communities don't even live in the communities that they're serving in? So I, I feel like a, a, one of the big factors. Yeah. That is one of the big factors. I think another big factor is, um, I don't know what the number exactly on top of my head, but you know, we hire for police a lot of the one who serve in the military and have PTSD or they think they're still back in, you know, where they fought war at. And putting these people into the police is just one bad mix. And Well, um, and I think there needs to be more representation in the police departments. I know they try to go recruit, and I know that they give incentives for minorities to participate in the force. I, I mean, I've seen all of that, but I feel like, when I see riots and protests and people screaming for change, the only way that you're going to change is if you run for mayor, you go get on the police force. You have to make change from the inside. You can't make change from the outside. And that is called a power play. For example, like, you know, um, Bank of America, uh, you know, this is a little example. Bank of America, you know, do you, uh, do you know who that was founded by? No. Bank of America, and this is a perfect example of a power play. 
the, the Bank of America was founded by the Italian mob. And, you know, like I said, they went from organized crime to becoming one of the biggest financial institutions, companies in the United States. Really? They literally went from, yes. So that is the definition of a power play rule. And that's what I think that's what a lot of, you know, blacks and should be doing is, you know, we, we, the problem is that we do get the blacks into, you know, the police chiefs and whatnot, but this, still not good enough like they still are under that you know they I, it's like i said i don't know where this stems from why the police are like this obviously it's not all the police you know the best friend of my mom who helped me you know she um she was a police and like i said she was a good person so i'm not going to say it's all police but um it's just hard it, it looks bad on all of them because like i don't want to say all the police are bad but all the good cops are you know, oh yeah, this puts a total and complete stain on the badge. Right, and like I said, like you know, I had a friend tell me, you know, all cops are bad. I'm just, I was just like, I was like, you know, exactly how so. He's like, yeah, because you know, the bad cops are doing what they want, and the good cops are just staying silent. And if you're a good cop, you would be fired for what you said, for opening up your mouth. So, like I said, it's. I think the only way is you know, fix this system is for a lot of the people that want to change. You know, this system, get into the system and change it. Right. You, know, you can't rely on people who are, you know, your oppressors to change. You can't, you can't rely on them. So, I just so think you can get in there and change it. That brings me to another question for you. Do you feel like the Black Lives Matter movement, which in my opinion is founded in the idea of pro-black growth, which I think is a wonderful message. I think that that's a very important. Right. But do you feel like that's really been hijacked by people with personal agendas? Do you feel like, like when I watch these riots take place, we have confirmation now that Linda Sarsour's organization in New York actually booked one-way flights for people to come to the city of Louisville to protest. One-way yeah. flights, meaning stay as long as you need to. And right. And I, I saw a video on uh, Stanton King. What's her first name? Oh, um, I can't. Angela Stanton King, is that her name? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, on her Twitter today, there was a guy in Atlanta, and those protests, there is a pallet of bricks that was dropped off in front of one of those big glass buildings. Yes. There's no construction, but there's a no construction there. So the riots and all of that have really taken over. Antifa, in my opinion, has tried to take over the Black Lives Matter movement, which in essence ends up just being a bunch of bratty white kids taking over black people's voice in their movement, in, in my opinion. So the thing with, with the Black Lives Matter is that it started off, you know, um, under Obama, when Obama was president. Mm -hmm. And, you know, another example of how just color and power does not mean we're free. You know, Obama, we, we had a black president, a black attorney general, and a black, you know, lead of Homeland Security. Like, we had everything there, and he still can execute, you know, um, you know, justice for minorities, you know. But with the Black Lives Matter movement, like I said, it was an honest, uh, it was an honest movement, you know, obviously emphasizing, emphasizing for the lives of black people, black people who were unjustly killed, 
Um, but, you know, later on, it just turned into, you know, uh, what you're seeing today. You know, ironically, you know, if you didn't notice, a lot of the original founders of the Black Lives Matter movement, they were killed. Really? Uh, for example, rest in peace for one of my name was uh, Darren Seals, one of the most honest uh, Black Lives uh, Matter uh, leaders. He was killed. He was shot in the car, I believe. And obviously, I do not. I do not believe that was a uh, you know somebody mm-hmm. just hated a murder. I think it was just like a inside thing, or you know, more from the upper, you know, I would say elite. You know, if you want to get into uh, theory, but a lot of these honest, you know, black life matter, um, black life matter uh, uh, people here, they were killed. You know, so. Um, and with the whole thing with Antifa, like I said, a lot of them are, you know, they come from the middle class, upper middle class, and they go to the lower, you know, lower class for neighborhoods, majority black to destroy the neighborhoods. And then Completely wrecked them. Just start from there. Just wreck them. So, you know, like I said, you, you will see videos of, you know, the, what media won't show you is um, a lot of blacks are, you know, peacefully protesting, you know, telling the police shame on them and, you know, making them feel bad and, you know, hopefully they'll change or, um, holding signs, screaming the names of the people sorry. killed. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Pardon, no, you want to go ahead. You. I think the Minnesota governor and then the chief of police of Minneapolis, Minneapolis came out today and said that of the people that they arrested last night, every single one of them were from out of state. They were from out of state, yep. So How crazy is that? <laughs> and this, you know... The, I don't know the population right now off the top of my head of Minneapolis. I'm sure it's in the, I would say, a billion or so. But the odds of arresting everybody who, you know, were destroying, you know, neighborhoods or businesses happen to be in uh, from another state, that is a very, you know, what a coincidence. So, right. Um, you know, especially during the four-day span. Like, who knows how long they've been there? Who knows if they... You know, this thing went out for four days. Who knows that they flew in uh, a week ago? Do they know this, this is what they wanted to do? So, um, like I said, these riots are just, just, uh, it could just, it precedes two things that, um, martial law, which is, I think it's gonna end up coming in America. Um, and the second one is, you know, gentrification. You know, all these, only people that are enjoying these riots are, you know, businessmen and rich people that are, seeing all these properties burning to ashes and, you know, um, they're going to end up buying them later on for pennies to rebuild them and gentrify them and make a profit out of them. That's exactly what happened in Detroit, you know, when during the riots in the, I believe in the 80s um, or the 60s, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember which decade that was, but I think it was the 80s. Um, yeah, they burned the entire city to the ground. You know, rich people would be like, you know, we'll be back. We'll, we'll buy the property cheap and rebuild it. So, and Detroit is still affected by the riots today. Even Chicago is still affected by the riots today. Like I said, riots you never recover. Um, you know, and like I said, in the 60s when Martin Luther King was assassinated, um, what's it called? They had the riots in the west side of Chicago, and there was all, every single businesses almost that were destroyed were black businesses, and they never came back. It's just heartbreaking. I- like, I watched a video of the man, he'd saved his entire life savings and opened a bar 
Yeah. And that was so sad. The video of those guys coming back in and trying to get in his safe. In the safe. Oh, that, it's hard. You know, I, I I can find out who is, you know, the name of the guy or, you know, any, any funny account. That is something I would definitely contribute. And I, I honestly encourage many people to contribute because that was an honest, you know, business that employed people. And just to see all his hard work and all his life savings, that everything, you know, all well, the know. Just a business person. I feel like we've, we don't even think about, Okay, we just came out of a three month quarantine. He was probably so excited to reopen his bar. To reopen. And, and and now he's closed again. God man, it's just sad. So and you know what I heard? Go ahead. And what I heard is a lot uh a lot of these small business owners unfor- unfortunately they didn't have uh like you know, like big corp- corporations insurance, you know. Yeah, that's so the a thing. Lot of these, like, um, They've got maybe like minimal liability damage, but they don't have like the right. full coverage where they can replace their their location. It's yeah, so, bad. Know, like I, said, I I hope I hope all these small business owners they rebound. I hope they you know rebuild their business business stronger. But you know, like I said, this is unfortunate. Small businesses like these are this is what makes up fifty percent of our I believe our economy, our employment. Small businesses that's what makes America strong as it is. Well, did you hear? Did you hear the guy? I well, I'm trying to remember what city he was in. He's the guy who is the pawn shop owner. It is in Minneapolis. He was the pawn shop owner that killed the looter that tried to come in and steal his stuff. Do you hear he got arrested for murder? Really? Yeah. Wow, I didn't. I didn't. I did not know that. Yeah, it. So I he, just he, heard so somebody looted. Somebody looted into his home, uh, into his business, and he shot him. Self defense, protecting his property, and got arrested. Correct. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So he, he killed the guy, <laughs> and they charged him with murder, and which now. You know, he still has to go through the whole system and argue whatever laws are in play. I don't know what Minneapolis's laws are, but so obviously he's innocent until he's proven guilty. But they did arrest him and charge him with murder, which I thought was nuts. Like, I was blown away by that because pawn shops in particular, not only are you protecting your own property, so let's say the money that you have there, but every single item that's in that pawn shop that's there on just on pawn, you're protecting right. other people's property. So if you lose that, yeah. you're out that cash. And yes. So, it's, so that is. I just I don't know. I thought that was crazy. Before, because uh, I, I say I apologize to my viewers. If you hear, you know, the train. I live by the train station, so the train stops by every 15 minutes. I just want to apologize for that background. No, that's all right. I I did an episode, I recorded an episode Thursday night with a friend. We were talking about the lockdowns and he's a constitutional law attorney. And about, I don't know, maybe five minutes into it, my one-year-old is literally sitting at the door screaming, not like crying, screaming, (laughs) just yelling because he knows I'm in here. And I was talking. So he's like, hey, hey, (laughs) 
so I want to talk about conservative versus non-conservative. So uh, liberal versus conservative black America. So not only are you a minority in the fact that you aren't white, but you're also a minority in the fact that you are actually conservative black American. Yes. And that I I can't imagine what that world feels like for you. It cannot be comfortable in Chicago. It can't be comfortable in general. Especially in Chicago, yes. But, you know, I came out conservative in California. And, um, you know, it all started, like I said, when when I believe in 2008, I was in high school. And um, Governor Jerry Brown, he got elected into governor for California. And... You know, like I said, I didn't know much about politics uh, during that, that time. Like I said, I was just a high school kid. I, I played football and basketball, so only thing that was running through my head was sports. Right. And so um, I got into – so a lot of the news that came out in California just got, you know, it, uh, while I was watching TV, a lot of these laws from Jerry Brown was here. He um, – what's it called? For example, you know, giving all our money to, for example, uh, people that – came to the country illegally. They are prioritized before the citizens. Um, right. And they only use the illegal because, you know, they have to pay taxes, but they don't get any back. So they're just using, using that to benefit their own pockets. Um, you know, uh, a lot of, you know, even free speech nowadays in California has been gone away. There's some words that you cannot say. Like, it's more, it's less taboo to say the N-word than it is to say, you know, the other no slurs against other groups that, you know, people have differences with. But uh-huh. um, I feel like, like I said, being conservative in California, the only place I had a little breather of being conservative in California was Orange County. Um, that is one of the most conservative places in California. Um, but overall, like I said, just coming up, if you tell somebody you're conservative in California, they look at you as, you know, racist or, you know, you hate, other minorities, I'm just I'm a minority myself. Like it doesn't make it. <laughs> like I'm just, you know, you know, if you know, as being conservative, believing in you know family values and the Constitution, you know, the freedom of religion, freedom of speech, you know, the uh, Second Amendment, and all, you know, your rights. If that's you know what you define as a racist or somebody, you know, a wicked person, then so be it. Like right. I said, um, so. The one I got hurt a little bit being conservative with my mom, because she she believed in uh, being liberal. But I told her, you know, like I said, um, what's it called? She's very uh, anti-gun. She did not allow me, even in my twenties, she didn't let me have a gun in the house. Like my mom's friend, she uh, she's a cop, and she I remember my mom went to her house, and she uh, <laughs> she obviously officer, you know, they carry guns and. The office, uh, my mom's friend had a gun on the table. My mom ran out the house. <laughs> she ran out the house because she was that terrified of guns. So she is not pro gun. Um, that's for sure. Um, what did she more, ever talk to you about that? About why she doesn't support? I mean, especially if she was a police officer, how she, why she doesn't support having a gun in your home to protect yourself? Like, what's her? Well, What's her argument or justification against that? Have you guys ever had that conversation? Uh, well, actually, it's my mom's friend that was the cop. Not my mom. My mom was not the cop. Oh, okay. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, no problem. Sorry, I should have clarified better. Um, 
she tried to talk. No, she she doesn't like. She never gave me the talk about why she hates guns or doesn't like guns. She just gave me the uh, I don't want to see a gun and that's it in a quote. So she hated guns. Um, my family and my from my dad's side of the family, they're more obviously uh, Indian on guns. So um, you know, I remember I bought my first gun. You know, I was still with my mom at the time, and I bought a gun and. I have to keep it. In. I rented a whole store. It's just to keep my gun. <laughs> not, not even. She didn't let me have a gun. I remember she freaked out. She tried to. Uh, she yelled at me at the top of her lungs, but she, but she found. Because um, uh, she was doing laundry one day, and, you know, I, uh, I did my laundry, and she's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna do laundry. Do you need to maybe wash real quick?" But you know what? I, I just have to get my pants, you know, my work pants. She's like, "No way. I'll, I'll get it for you." I'm like, oh, "Okay, thank you." So. So I forgot to take out my uh, <laughs> my wallet, and uh, I remember my, my mom before she threw my pants, and she said that she, before she threw me the washer, she saw my wallet. She said, "Oh, I'll find it in the wallet." I guess she got a little bit, uh, you know, that little thing. Told her, Let's see what's in there. She found my gun card, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> she found my gun card, and <laughs> she oh, went into my she went to my house. Uh, she went she went home. And she yelled at the top of her lungs, saying, "You have a gun in this house." And she says, "She says I want you out this house." And this now, I told her, "I just have a gun card. I don't have a gun." Obviously, you know the little white lie. I did have one, uh-huh. and not in the house. And she's like, "Why do you have? Why do you still have a gun?" I was just like, "Mom, I just got it because they was they were giving out giving them out for free." I just got it because you know. So she, even then, she said that's not Rodney, still not good enough. You're telling right. your mom lots of little white lies. Oh, I had to. It's just like those were little things where, like you know, it won't hurt. She if she didn't know, but I guess that she hated guns that much, and um, and for my family, like I said, they are pro gun, but they were from a black side of the family. Even when I when I told them I was conservative, they were not fond of it either. Like, um, obviously, you're having to believe that you are gonna um, vote Democrat, like we have for the last fifty years, and you know, despite seeing all these failure policies and all these broken promises, um, these politicians have you know promised black people they just use it for the vote, and you know. So that's when I started. Be, be, even I saw that at a young age, like these Demo- a lot of Democrat leaders just only use you for the black vote. I mean, and did you see that video with Joe Biden on Charlemagne where he's like, "You don't support oh, me, you're black." Like, <laughs> you're not, you're not black. I'm just like, I was just that 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 gave me like an eye open. I'm like, you really said that? I had to make sure that was not edited and. The only way I found out it was not edited was he himself said, I'm sorry for saying that. I was like, you really said that? That was, I couldn't believe, like, a person like Joe Biden, I, as what he is, I still couldn't believe he would say that. I'm well, like, I know and he I said think a lot that, of stupid things, but this tops the cake. What's, what's interesting to me in this black versus white world that we apparently live in, the... Right. The liberal whites, in my opinion, all of this is strictly opinion. I have no empirical data to back up what I'm saying. But I, when you have somebody that says things like, if you don't know who to vote for, then you aren't black. Or um, white kids are just as – or 
poor kids are just as smart as white kids. When you when you make yeah. statements like that, those are, I guess, Freudian slips. But you're literally – what did Hillary Clinton say about – Something about black being predators or – Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. let a person talk to you. They'll show you who they are. Like, I – I've been told Donald Trump's a racist. I've been told right. that he hates black people, but I haven't right. ever seen him say or do anything bad to black people. I saw him bring our country to the point where black had the lowest unemployment rate in history. Right. This goes back, I would say, about 50 years as well. Um, you know, Malcolm X. You know, he even said himself, you know, the white liberal is the most dangerous people because they sneak up like a fox and they watch, they pretend to be your friend, but they watch your every single move where, and that is something that has not changed to this very day. You know, a lot of uh, white liberals, especially the ones in college, um, they will use their justification of racism and say, you know, I have a black friend, I have a this and this and that. It's just like, that's still not good enough. Like how, but it's even worse. Like, how do you have a black friend and you're still racist and or still say racial thoughts? But another, fun, you know, funny view of, I was watching earlier before the podcast on uh, Fox News on YouTube was, you know, uh, one of the reporters, they go to San Francisco, you know, with majority white liberals, and they were asking about the whole, um, you are rec- you're familiar with the, uh, I think you got a show ID to vote or something like that. Oh, yeah. I think that's what they were proposing. So Fox News, they went to San Francisco, and they were asking white liberals, um, do you think this is racist? And I the white liberals that. were like, yeah. So they were like, yeah, oh, this, you know, yes, this is racist. Yes, this is racist. Awful. You know, because a lot of black people live in these they're areas where they don't know how to use it. They're not smart enough to use the internet. They don't have they enough were saying, like, in <laughs> They weren't saying, oh, they don't know how to use the internet. They have no internet. They, they, right? they can't I go get that. ID. Oh, my God. That was so good. I, I was watching it. I was like, okay. I, 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 this was my first time watching the video. I, like, I hope they show the other side, mostly black people, these questions. And they all had ID. They all had access to internet. They And then they ended up telling, you know, what the white liberals said. And they were, they were just like, this is what they said. And it's just like, you know, what's funny is that they don't even know they're being racist or they're saying these, these comments. And that's just, you know, when you're saying it without thought or that just shows your nature. Right. That just shows like, you know. Man, I'm so glad you brought that up because I completely forgot about that. And I, I, I was, I've been watching, I watched last night. I don't know if you watched any, I I was up until two o'clock this morning editing my other podcast. And right. I was watching the riots on TV, and they were showing the crowd starting to build in front of the White House. And was it the White House or the Capitol? It was the White House. They the ended White up having House? to okay. pull like the, the fence barriers and all that stuff. They had the Secret Service activated. It was pretty. It looked like it was a, starting to hit a boiling point. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I think I was watching, I was seeing that on, on, well, this is like at one morning. <laughs> right. I will say one thing, these protests and riots have completely taken away <laughs> the message that we need to stay in our houses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, 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 like, 
five seconds. You know, these were the same, those, those same people out there writing were the same ones telling us, stay home, quarantine. Right. They are the ones that said, you know, we're opening up too early, six feet distance, and they are doing the exact opposite. So I, back to the point I was making, I think it's important for white people to stand with black people, to stand next to you and support you in your endeavors. It's not for me to speak for you because I, I am okay. not you. I can't deliver that message. I'm I'm not your mom. Like you, so you believe just white should just stand there in solidarity and, and have the blacks have the voices? Yes, yes. But I also believe that mm -hmm. we, it, it is all of us. We are a nation of people, and we are against the government. Like, I, not against. I don't want to say against because then I sound like a total and complete anarchist. But <laughs> there is a, a system in place, and it's, I think that by me telling you, Rodney, I, I want you to succeed. I hope that you succeed. I can't make you succeed. I can't. I can't hold your hand and walk you through, the, just like our parents. They can't hold us. They can't walk into an interview with us and say, now you better give my daughter a job. It's, mm. So I so I, I don't feel like I can do it for you. I can stand next to you and I can cheer you on and I can be proud of you, but I can't right. be the one who accomplishes your goal for you. Correct. And... I think that too often white people want to be the ones that got it for you. I feel like a lot of white people have so much guilt for our past that we feel that it's necessary for us to put you in a better position. But we can't do mm. that. You have to do that yourself. Now, I, I'll be your biggest cheerleader on the way there. Right. But I can't do it for you because then then what did you actually accomplish and and what do you do when you get there? Do you see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah. I hundred percent agree. I, 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 I no, not at all. Not at all. I think I, I agree. I think that's what most a lot of blacks would agree as well, believing that, you know, um you know, obviously, you know, there's no matter what way your color is, you know, your life matters as well, your voice matters as well, but um, right now, at that kind of uh, at that moment, that's a, that's for a certain uh, group. But even though, like I said, with um, this, you know, um, unjustified killing, you know, especially from the police on minorities, is also, you know, I've seen videos of whites getting killed by the police as well. Yeah, um, I guess just recently, almost like close to the, almost the same time that George Floyd got murdered the way that he did. Right. There's another guy. I think his name is like Tony Tempa or something. Tony Tempa, Dallas, Dallas police as well. They, yeah. they did almost the same thing what happened with George and they literally left and they put him on a stretcher and one of the guys were they like, oh, that's the they killed the guy. Fucking sedative. They put a sedative in his arm. Yeah. Wow. It's insane. Yeah, they, 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 they saw, yeah, I remember. All I remember was just like they were laughing and they were just like, "Oh, okay, I, I hope we didn't kill this guy." And they were just like, "Yeah, yeah, you probably dead or not." I was just like, "Wow," I was like, "Oh my god!" Like this is, uh, and, but the thing with the media is the thing with 
the media is that these they know and I'm pretty sure that we know these injustices and these, you know, killings or whatnot. They have the corruption by the police happens every single day, but the media will pick out the ones that they know which one is gonna stir right or which is gonna stir uh racial divide. That's what the media does. How do how do we move forward as a country? So we're not gonna solve all the world's problems in one podcast. You and I both know that. Correct. But I I imagine this scenario, and this is, I'm sure you have or have had a girlfriend, and imagine, put yourself in the position, your girlfriend and your mom get into it really bad, like real bad, and from that point moving forward, let's let's even not say girlfriend, let's say you're married, because you guys are together for life, right, but she hates your mother. She absolutely hates mm. her with good reason because her mother, <clears throat> your mother gave her a justifiable reason to hate her. But secretly deep down, she kind of hates you a little bit too because you came from your mom. So you must be like her too, right? Mm. And then you can't change what your mom did. You can't make up for it. How does your relationship survive? And I look at that scenario as the white-black scenario. I cannot change what my ancestors did, and I cannot make up for it in any other way than being your friend and being there for you. How does our relationship as as a nation, as a people, survive if I'm constantly apologizing for someone else's mistakes that you can't forgive? That you can't forgive, and especially with the fact that um, you know, believing, you know, it's all white people that own, you know, for example, slavery, that all white people own slaves. There was only, a, I think at the time, there was only like 6% that owned slaves. And, um, but we're still categorizing as all white people. So, um, but to, you know, move forward as a nation is to, I think it starts with uh, accountability. And it also, you know, starts with not forgetting or if the person chooses to forgive, or not, but I believe with a lot of uh, when I look for for black, I think we should learn from um, the Japanese. You know, um, they moved on. Not I would, I don't think they moved on because they still show the you know memories of what happened in Hiroshima and Nagasaki every year. But at the same time, they pick themselves up and you know let's move forward. You know what happened happened. We're not gonna forget, but let's get up and let's let's move forward and. I think that's what a lot of blacks, you know, I hope they, we realize that we should learn to do. And especially with, also with uh, Jewish people after the Holocaust, they picked after the World War II, they pick themselves up and just, you know, let's rebuild. And, um, so it's like I said, it's up to the person if they want to forgive or forget, but at the same time, we have to, we have to move forward. It's just like, it's going to be, um, we, we have to, you know, show, you know, what we're able to do and what, um, how we, um, how we can make, you know, um, hard to explain with, uh, with whites and blacks relations. Because like I said, they've been, uh, it's just something, especially at a young age, they're seeming to be less and less forgiving about what, what happened, you know, centuries ago or whatnot. Obviously, it affects, I think it affects us today. I think I mean, what, what happened with. In Louisville, like I said, I I live in Indiana, but I I work in Louisville. Louisville is I feel like they're taking steps backwards there, and maybe maybe that's 
the white privilege talking, but I see that, I mean, they've created segregated schools. Like it's schools where it's blacks only. And what is, what is I, I'm not kidding. I'm no. dead serious. <laughs> and I don't know, you know, like as a black person, is it, is it better for you to not be exposed to white people until you get to college? You know, you're, this is going to be a very surprising on my thoughts. I think to an extent, extent, a very small extent, um, segregation works. And, okay. and, and I'll be able to touch why. California, for example, they, um, there are the neighborhoods, you know, the area is called uh, South Central. And also other neighbors with, um, city called Paramount. And also, like areas Norwalk and Southgate and whatnot, those areas are 50% black, 50% Hispanic, and Royal Heights as well. And what happened was when you put two races in large quantities in one neighborhood, you, for some reason, you are going to see a territorial dispute or a game of dispute or a racial dispute. So you create segregation on your own anyway. That they, they create segregation on their, they can create segregation on their own, but at the same time, like I said, they placed blacks and Hispanics into the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And what happened was in the 1990s, South Central was probably one of the worst places you can ever go because of the blacks and Hispanic gang war over territory and over racial dispute. Same thing with Boyle Heights in, I believe in the 60s, um, I believe a Hispanic bombed or arsoned a black apartment complex. Wow. And I think, like I said, I don't, I'm not saying that I'm pro-segregation. We should separate from the whites and never see them again or whatnot. But I do believe, like, for example, you'll see it very commonly, like, in the Midwest, where it's very, so like Chicago, it's very, very diverse. But it's also, I, want, I don't want to say the word segregated, even though that's what I think that's what their, a lot of their um, system was placed on back, like, in the 50s or 60s, segregation. But I feel like, you know, it's, it's really convenient seeing there's, okay, there's, you know, you have a black neighborhood and then you go next door, there's an Irish neighborhood, a Jewish neighborhood or whatnot, but you're still able to go to their neighborhoods and, you know, you know, have, you know, you know, saying, oh, I want some change, but it's go down to, you know, Chinatown, you know, stuff like that. But like I said, the word segregation works, works to an extent, I would say from living, but education wise, I don't, I, I think, for example, um, that's a complex, you know, um, thought. Maybe that's a topic for another day. Blacks and whites. Oh, that's, yeah, it's like, it's, yeah, but it's like a, it's just a very complex topic on when it comes to schools. Because I feel like growing, it, it's a big factor of growing up and being accustomed to seeing different races. I think that's important, of seeing other races. Yeah, I you talk about the way that you grew up in California. It was nothing like that for me. I went to a school that was kindergarten through 12th grade. And I think through my entire, which I started in Charleston, South Carolina, which is different because Mm. I did have exposure to a melting pot multiracial school. And then I moved to Southern Indiana to a cornfield. And I think until I graduated, I think we only had two black people in my entire school through all all the years that I went there. 
And so, yes. And so it was a very different upbringing for me from a, a primary school education. And then I went to college and it was completely different again. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I, I, I'm asking, I'm asking, is that something that we should consider here in Louisville? They're starting to segregate schools. Is that something? If you ask a lot of blacks, I think they will say yes, they should segregate them. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, what's funny is when uh, speaking of segregation is you, um, I have met a lot of blacks who hated Martin Luther King, who hated him. And the reason was that they believed life for blacks was better when they were segregated where um, they had black-owned banks, they had black-owned clothing places, grocery stores, and, you know, buy uh, buy cars, black-owned. Your nurses who was taking care of you is a black, you know, black woman, a black nurse. Um, you know, the, the people that's educating you is a black person. You know, like, they're more likely to teach you black history or history instead of teaching just, you know, um, you know, bought the tea party or anything like that. Right. Which is American history. Which is American history. I think we should still learn about that as Americans. But um, yeah, but the Americans dressed up like black you know, people and Native Americans to go dump the tea yeah, in the harbor. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like they, they, they. Uh, so I think that's how you know. Like I said, they, they don't look at it that segregation was better. Like they even had their own baseball league, like legal league, uh, uh, baseball league. And um, mm-hmm. after when, when they argue with when Martin Luther King, when he came in and asked for not equality, but integration, all those businesses and all those, you know, that sports teams and all that stuff that blacks had, that it's gone. But the only thing I will say that's fair is that when you see, uh, I was seeing the number the other day, I think after integration, after the end of segregation, uh, the black incarceration rate went, went up 700%. Wow. Which is an absurd, absurd number. But I would say a lot of that started by, ironically, a Democrat uh, written by uh, Joe Biden and signed by Bill Clinton in 1994, the mass incarceration bill. Um, they're going to vote for him. They're going to vote for him. Like, I, I, I told a lot of black people, like, I have a lot of black friends. I told them, you know, if they were, you don't have to vote or, you know, whether how you like Trump or not, but. If you vote for Biden, you're voting for the guy that wrote the bill. The reason why your uncles or your cousins or your aunties or, you know, whatnot are in jail today because of this man right here that is in jail. And the person in 1994 who signed the bill, uh, Bill Clinton, like I said, these are the people responsible why you may, you don't have a father or your cousin doesn't have a father and creating this system of, you know, cycle of not having fathers in their lives and having to turn to the street and, um, you know, and don't know how to become a man, you know, like I said, because you don't have a father in your life. And you can think this guy who's running for presidency, that this is why, um, like I said, your your uncles and your fathers are in prison. So that, do you agree with Donald Trump's policy where he worked with Kim and Kanye and all that stuff to reform, like do prison reform. Do you think that that was a good thing for the black community? That is a good. It's a good start. It's a good start. I think it should start off with. Um, I hope you know 
with Trump, I hope he does see a lot of people that are in prison or prison for the, you know, for the most nonviolent things or the wrong things. Um, not only that it benefits blacks for, to release a lot of, um, of our people who were doing nonviolent crimes, it helps a lot with, you know, budgeting. Did, did you know it costs $41,000 a year to keep a person incarcerated? Yes, I didn't know that. I have a I have a whole big problem with government spending on things like, oh, you sold some people some weed. Like, let me put, let me pay forty one thousand dollars to put you in jail instead of legalizing weed yeah. and putting forty one thousand dollars in our budget. Right, like that's forty one thousand uh, per person. That's I'm like, and the thing with prison is that, like I said, all that money we could be using it to, you know better our social programs and what's sad is that a lot of people come in for this American dream but when you really think about it the only people living the American dream are people in prison if you really think about it they get free housing they get three meals a day they get free medical free education the only ones that are living the American dream are people in jail yes like they're the only one they are living the American dream if you really think about it but um Going back, like I said, with the prison reform, I think prison does have to be reformed. I believe that, um, I think if, you know, people that are wrongly in jail and they want to change their life, I believe we should, um, give them the opportunity to do uh, it. Give them the opportunity, which I do have, which I am working on, by the way, here in Chicago, where I just moved here. Um, you know, I'm start, I want to start this, uh, little program where a lot of blacks that were, if they came out of prison and they're looking for, for work and, you know, they landed a job interview, I am willing to offer that, um, you know, if you can't afford, you know, a suit or tie or slacks or whatnot, show me your, your, uh, email or paper confirming what day is your interview. I will personally pay for your, your, um, clothes for your job interview. That so is that's, so awesome. That's, that's, you know, so that's what I, I wanted to be able to start. I have, um, you know, obviously I met some people already saying, oh, I got this job interview, bro, you know, this is warehouse place and, um, you know, I'm trying to change my life. I'm just like, okay, oh, you know what, come on, let's go. And, uh, you know, you take him to go buy him, you know, his slacks or whatnot. And he got the job and now he's, you know, taking care of his family. He got a daughter. And like I said, this is, I think this is what a good start can be. So okay. if, they, if they're not going to do it, I think just uh, I, I can start doing this. Well, I also, I think that that's a huge problem with our system is the recidivism rate is so high because I come from a system where, you know, I, I work really hard, but I can't accomplish anything. Then I go in jail. Then I come out and nobody will give me a job or give me a shot because I've been in jail. A lot of that, like, I think that there should be. And I think, I I don't know, I need to do more research, so I am not speaking uneducatedly about it. But, you know, we talk about the trades and how important that is. And we have a huge lacking in the trades. We don't have enough electricians. Yeah. We don't have enough plumbers. We don't have enough people that are in what I would consider manual labor type industries. And right. I think in prison – you should have a school, a trade school in the prison. Yes, I so agree. When they come out, I agree. they can get a job. I, I feel like that's where the reform should come in place. You should be educating and helping and 
putting these people in a position so that when they do come out of jail, they're not standing there at the gates going, man, I need to go rob okay, somebody and go back in jail. Right. Like, <laughs> and like, I, I, and you, I, I, I give them a job. I believe in, like I said, you know, um, there's, I believe, 3 million open construction jobs in the United States unfilled. And we have a very huge shortage. That's the biggest shortage of jobs right now. I mean, surplus of jobs that we have that need to be filled up is um, construction. Like I said, I, I agree with you 100%. We should be able, even like I said, not just minorities, all people that are in prison and yeah. truly want to change. I believe that we should, um, what's it called, start a trade school, teach them how to become plumbers, and teach them how to become electricians, teach them how to become construction workers, iron workers, you know, numbers, anything, you know, yeah. labor work that is truly appreciated in this country. You know, I believe, like I said, I believe, I, I take more appreciation for blue collar workers and white collar workers. Like, you know, the working, those are the working class. Those are the people that help build this country. Yep. And, um, so, like so I said, I agree with you 100%. We've become so conditioned, though, that white collar is the way to be. You need to go to college. You need to go into so right. much debt that you can't breathe when you come out. And go work a right. job just so you can pay back all of the money we gave you to learn anything. Right. But you really didn't learn anything because you took a bunch of classes that were completely worthless. Exactly. So you, <laughs> and you know what's funny about college is the, what's funny about college is that the, they say uh, universities like myself um, experience is uh, the first two years are the biggest waste of time. Like they teach those first two years are uh, classes and courses that you can learn in a community college or any. They teach the same courses the first two years that can be taught anywhere. And then right. they teach you your real major the, the last two years. Um, so I found Which that is a very time, different. As far Europe. As European schools are completely different than American schools in that regard. Yeah. Like once you mm-hmm. go to university, you're studying whatever it is you're going to be doing when you're finished. So it costs less right. money and you're done faster and you're contributing to society faster. Here in the United exactly. States, you know, we want you to take cultural – Ceramics and, and build some pots. I'm going to pay and pay $5,000 a semester for that class. Or $5, yeah. For that class. It's just like, oh my goodness, though. $5,000 for the class, and then you're going to pay $600 for the book that you need that you're never going to use. You would get, and then you try to resell it, you only get $40 or $50, right. for it, which <laughs> happened to me, by the way. So, <laughs> so, um, but like I said, I think, I think in society today, they have conditioned people to believe you have to work in white-collar jobs and get into tech or whatnot, which, by the way, like I said, I do mechanical engineering, but my best job I've ever worked was carpentry. I did carpentry um, when I was 18 and 19. That was the best job I ever worked, and I learned the value of a hard dollar and the value of, you know, having these. I still have those skills that I'll be able to carry the rest of my life and um, my, uh, myself, but... My dad but, had um, a greenhouse when I was growing up and you'd think working in flowers is not really that big of a deal but if you think that you've never worked mum season in the blazing hot sun on black tarp and earning my I think it was like nine dollars an hour was the best nine dollars I ever earned in my entire life it it was it's something that you can carry for the rest of your life like it's yeah like I said, every, like for some reason, like the blue collar jobs, it just feels like you're not one of those. Keep your eyes on the computer at all times. It's just you go home and do the same thing. It's just like you're open to yourself. 
And I guess that's why I appreciate white collar jobs more. Um, but overall, like I said, I think with going back to the prison reform, I think we should have all these, uh, these kind of jobs to these people. And, uh, I believe that will reduce crime by a lot. Because I think, for example, unfortunately with a lot of African Americans, that's why I don't like using the term, um, black on black crime. I believe crime stands for poverty. Um, where, you know, those, these people, they don't have jobs. They are looking for money and, the only thing they can resort to is making money, selling drugs, or they can make money or a quick dollars, you know, you know, theft or whatnot, or um, killing somebody because because this person has more money than them or whatnot. I think it stands for poverty. I don't believe in I, I don't believe in the term black on black crime. Okay. So, um, but like I said, I believe if we did um, reduce, I mean, if we were able to give these people jobs and especially people out of prison jobs, I think we'll see a big difference reducing uh, crime. You know. These people are contributing more to our country, and at the same time, we have all that $41,000 per year per person into other social programs that, you know, that could be a little bit better. Yeah. I think there's a lot that we can do. It's just having the right people in position to do it. I think that if if you are a politician and you I, – I, I have an interview on uh, Monday morning with the – Indiana state representative, well, not the state representative, the actual congressional representative, Trey Hollingsworth. And mm-hmm. he has a bill on the floor right now for term limits. And I think that term limits are so necessary in politics right now because if you are a career politician, you no longer represent the people, period. Because exactly. you're right. so far removed from what it means to have to actually go out and work or put food on the table for your kids or get up work, get your kid ready, get them to school, get them to, you know, whatever practice they have to go to. You you have people that do that for you now because you're in politics. And I, I just right. feel like we've moved so far away from the people who are in the house of the people don't represent the people. I that video yes. that went viral of Nancy Pelosi on the James Corden show, where she's eating oh. her ice cream in front of her two, what it's like twenty five thousand dollar refrigerators. Refrigerators, yes. Yeah, that video uh, is the quintessential elite versus the people, and I. It's just the most appalling thing that I've ever seen in my life. So we've got to put people who actually represent the communities that they come from rather than people who stay in Washington for so long, they forget what zip code they used to live in. And that's why I always say, uh, you know, even if the perp, if it's a good president or not to a limit, I always tell people do not worry about who's in the White House for 40 years. Worry about who's been in Congress for 30 to 40 years. Right, These are exactly. the people who are affecting our life every single day. So, um, yeah, that's just, like I said, I do, I do believe in term limits. I would say, what, minimum, what, eight years? for per, I would say that's, what, a generation? Not a generation, but, like, um, you know, a different decade of, like I said, a 90s baby and a 2000 baby is a two different types of people. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, uh, I, I, I think for uh, House of Representatives, I think four terms, which is eight years total. And then right. two terms for a senator. So I, right. I agree with you. 
And then what would you think about for the, uh, what's the call as far as like governors and mayors? Um, I think that's less, I, I think that's less of an issue because you have to live in the state to be a governor. Like you're there versus right. Washington well, politics. You know, I feel like, I feel like when I lived in California and that's when, you know, Trump got elected, I felt more of Jerry Brown and Gavin Newsom's policies 10 times more than I felt Donald Trump's right. by far. Like, I, that's how much power I think a lot of these governors have. You know, especially, like I said, I had to leave California for many reasons. Like, some of the laws they have built there, I mean, implemented there, is beyond ridiculous. I can name you one that you're going to be like, are you kidding me? And it's it trust me that that law was one of the most stupidest laws I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. And I'll tell you what it is. Literally okay. in uh, California, they passed in California. Um, you get a one year of being in hospital. You get a. I'm like I said, I'm not, I'm not against the community. I'm just saying this is what they implemented. Um, you get one year jail sentence in medical, I believe, if you misgender somebody, and. Wow. But but you, if you give somebody HIV knowingly, you knowingly spread HIV giving it to somebody, uh, they decriminalize it. You only get six months. That is California. I'm so sorry. I had to cough. I didn't want to do it in the microphone. <laughs> but that's insane. Oh, no that's insane. Yeah. You can literally give, which it's not a death sentence anymore, but you can give a communicable disease to someone that there is no cure for. And you right. get less time than accidentally misgendering someone. Did I hear that exactly. correctly? It, it, that is correct. Like in the medical field, mainly in medical, I believe it's I forgot where it was city it was being in uh, Alameda, California. So a woman got a justice for misgendering one of her patients. And like I said, if, and somebody else gave HIV knowingly to their partners, and that person got six months, and that was Jerry Brown's bill. That is one of the most incredible things I have ever seen out of politics. That's wow. law. Yes. Well, I, I like mean, I said, I, yeah, and if you look at um, Governor Northam's stuff in Virginia, he takes office and he's literally removing rights from citizens that, like, he came in literally guns blazing and said, you can't have them anymore. I, I don't know. You can't have uh, guns? Yeah, so Governor Northam in Virginia is trying to make it, I think it's assault rifles is the first step, but I think moving further on that, once you start taking one gun away, you, you're able to justify taking all of them away. I think that's what California has done. Like they have managed to, uh, obviously they are against uh, 2A. Right. Um, I think what, what California has done, they managed to find a loophole. They, um, you have to get a background check, for, for example, to get a gun. Mm -hmm. And you have to get a, a, you have to get a, uh, a card, like a license to have a gun. However, you can, ha you can carry that gun in your home. And if somebody invades into your home, you can't kill them. You can't even, you can't have a weapon or anything. You can't be weaponized. You have to basically let that person invade your home. And, um, but, and um, what's it called? If you want to get a, 
uh, like for example, concealed carry or open carry, you have to go. They, you have to go through this. You have to go to the police station, apply for it, and you get a six months to a one year wait for an interview of why you want the car, and then it takes another year, another two years to get an approval or a pending. And then if they say, oh, we're still deciding, it takes two or three more years. It takes to the point where I think 99% uh, of people are discouraged and just says, you know, forget it. I don't even want it anymore. I think that is California loophole of you will never have carry a gun open, which is, which um is, like I said, what's funny is uh, I think, uh, I don't know if she's a senator or one of the, uh, Diane Feinstein. She, yeah. gun is the reason why guns guns is the guns is the reason why she is in the position she is today. She um, you know, I, I believe it was a former uh, who she uh, her predecessor basically. Um, I think it was like a shooting. I guess she passed away from a gun, and so she she took charge and she carries a gun herself. She she carries a thirty eight in her purse, but you know everybody else can have a gun by her, like especially. Um, so, like I said, I think eventually a lot of these things are going to follow, especially here in Chicago. It's starting to get a little bit more difficult carrying a firearm. Um, well, I yeah. bet. Yeah, so that's why, like, like it's crazy how just, you know, in California, that's, like, the most anti-gun in the state and with the high, one of the highest gun crimes. And then maybe when you drive four hours later, five hours later, your next-door neighbor, who is the most pro-gun in the state, which is Arizona, um, they have, you know, you have little to no, little, little, little of uh, gun crime. Like I said, everybody has to be, I believe everybody should be, have the right to be armed. Obviously, if you have a mental illness, um, you know, you shouldn't be carrying one. But, and also, you know, believe a person who's too good to have a gun should not be having a gun. And I say that because if you believe, you know, if you have a gun and you have a license and whatnot, and you are in a, you know, somebody comes invades your home or somebody starts shooting up a place and you have a gun and you do nothing because you are too good of a person and do not want to live oh, the rest of your life. That you have morality. That you think, you, yeah. yeah. Where too, where they don't want to live the rest of their lives knowing I killed somebody, even if it was a, my life or your situation, you shouldn't have a gun. I really, I really believe so. Well, you're never going to use it. <laughs> Right. Like, it's just like, yeah, it's just like you it never, that's what happened here in, uh, in Schaumburg, Illinois. Um, somebody opened fire at a mall and, um, there were people with guns and they didn't use them. I was just like, why do you have one? And they're like, oh, you know, you don't want to kill them. I'm just like, but it's your life or theirs. And I'm pretty sure to them, it's not going to be their life. It's going to be yours. Yeah. So, like I said, I don't know why you, you know, um, but like in Illinois, like I said, most of those guns, it's very hard to get a gun here in, in, in the south side of Chicago. Most of the guns come from, you know, places where it's easy to access a gun. And, you know, it's only going to be criminals having those guns. And obviously criminals aren't going to respect the law. Law-abiding citizens, they can't have a, a firearm to protect them because, you know, you're criminalizing it. You're looking down upon it and making it difficult to access a firearm, you know, to carry for protect, protection. So how do you feel about Mayor Lightfoot? I just saw a video of her saying fuck Trump the other day, so... Uh, who was it? Chicago's mayor. Oh, Lori Lightfoot. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know why they... I'm not going to say we because I can't 
became here when she got voted in. I don't know why they voted for her. Uh, terrible mayor. Um, you know, I think she's driving out the the uh, middle class out with her tax regulation, when she said, oh, F you Trump. Um, for what? I don't know why she said that. When it's, you know, everything that's going on in her city is on her watch. And, right. You know, uh, like I said, I, I oh, am not on, a fan. Right? You, know you got to push the blame on somebody. Yeah. Everybody's scapegoat. Right. It's been like, it's, they're going to say, oh, this, are you saying this because she's a black woman? And, oh, and my God, I stubbed my toe on the couch. Fuck Trump. Oh, oh yes. It's like, oh, like, <laughs> burn, burn my foot. Oh, God damn it, Trump. Yeah. Like, oh, I touched like, no. stuff in the oven without a mitt. Fuck Trump. Oh, Trump. Oh, Trump. I, Trump. It's just like... <laughs> <laughs> like oh, you know, and Trump. Like I said, it's very easy to blame Trump. Like I said, there are some things Trump, Trump should have done. Sometimes, like I, he, he says is, stuff. Yeah. If he would just be quiet and do what he says he's going to do and do what he's supposed to do, he would be the the best president that this country has ever seen. But, but he has think, access to Twitter. <laughs> he has access to a <laughs> microphone, and Trump just he says what. <laughs> Says and then he just makes everybody hate him. You know, I I, I love Donald Trump's Twitter. I I have his notifications on. He's the only person whose notifications I have on every time he tweets. I, for some reason, all this it's because people that voted for Trump took him in the way he is. Yep. And I compared to other like he was. I told you about. The, <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of enjoying all this stuff that he's doing. There are times where I just say, just Trump, just shut up. Like, um, overall, I would say, you know, he's done a lot more than our his predecessor, Obama. You know, a lot of people are going to say, oh, a lot of the Trump success that you've seen today is because that's how Obama left it and whatnot. I'm, that's like the same logic of saying, oh, technically. Obama got a uh, bit of get, get a dollar recession. There was George Bush. Like I can use, I'll just use that argument when yep. clearly that's not the case. But like I said, um, you know, I think this year you're gonna see a bigger black vote for Trump. I think a lot of um, what do you think that percentage is gonna look like? What like real talk? Because I think he pulled what six percent whenever he ran in 2016. What do you think he's gonna get this time for the black vote? Yeah. I want to say about, it's going to be a big number, around 14, 15%. You think so? Yeah. I think. You want to lay a bet on it? I kind of, I'm willing to bet. I'll I'll, I'll bet you on that. I I definitely love that. Um, You buy me a beer that I like, I'll buy you whatever booze you like. I'll take take that. That's even better than. All right. That's, that, that, that is a deal. So, <laughs> I think, yeah, I really do think he's going to get 14 to 16%. I think he's going to get, I still think he's going to get less than 10. I, I say that much because for two reasons. A lot of blacks are not going to vote for Bernie Sanders. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to vote for uh, Joe Biden. Uh-huh. And a lot of the uh, blacks are, they were fans of Bernie Sanders, and I'm pretty sure a lot of them are 
a lot of Bernie fans are not going to vote for Joe Biden. Um, because oh, no. that would basically contra- that would basically contradict everything what they sure. believe from Bernie Sanders, anti, you know, corporate and all that stuff. And that's what Joe Biden is pro for. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I think also the, a lot of the black folk are going to shift to Trump. And I think, like I said, especially with the, the whole impeachment, I believe, um, Democrats just, you know, converted a lot of them to Republicans. I think a lot of them are going to vote red. And, you know, another thing I'm willing to bet on after this whole coronavirus, you know, how bad, you know, blue states have managed their cities during the whole virus, you know, um, I have a feeling, I want to say California is going to be a red state. I really do think so. Really? You think in this election or do you think like maybe two down the road? I want to say very close to the road. I think California is going to be a red state. Um, that's because everybody is moving out to Texas and Texas, <laughs> Arizona, yeah, Colorado. <laughs> I think a lot of the people, uh, there's a lot of red in California. Uh, Orange County, population mm-hmm. about three, four million, red. San Diego area, very red. You go to up even the north, even outside of the outskirts of the Bay Area, it's so red. Huh. I think eventually, I think eventually California is going to be a red state. I would love I, Illinois. I would there, love to, to see that day come. I, I, I don't know that I can get into that one though. That trust me, I, I think that is. I think already one of the um, what's it called, senators? I forgot who was running. A Republican just won that seat for the first time since 1996. Yeah, I saw that. I, yes. I I will say on a state level, I think we're going to see a an influx in conservative votes. I think that we're going to start seeing more state representatives, more gubernatorial candidates, more even even more nuclear like your mayors, your like those type your commissioners, your uh, those types of positions you're going to start seeing move to more of a conservative just because I mean from a financial perspective if you want money for your state you probably shouldn't right. be overspending and then asking the federal government to bail you out yeah especially California who like to brag their uh, sixth largest economy in the world we contribute to all these other states they will not be nothing without us yeah they're you know Gavin Newsom is holding his basically his uh citizens hostage. you know these people are not coming out until I get that federal aid. That's just like terrible mismanagement money, but I'm willing to say as well, I think uh it's gonna be a big shift in a lot of rural areas that's gonna be blue because during the whole coronavirus thing, you see a lot of people that live in the big cities they're they're in their parents' home. In the small yep. areas, they're realizing life is better there. But so I think a lot of them are going to end up moving back to small country. Okay. Uh, what's that? I said, don't you be sending all of them to the country, okay? Oh no, 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 that's not. I like not here Like I, like I honestly, I honestly, sincerely believe a lot of those red states are going to become blue because um, a lot of those people that are leaving big cities are going to take that liberal, that blue, the reason why they left, back to the red and vote for the same people again. That's why Texas yeah, is becoming blue. We'll see, I think in the next probably two elections, 
I think we'll actually see see Texas turn blue. Yes, I think Texas, and I also believe um, uh, in the long run, uh, Arizona. Yeah. Phoenix has already uh, almost 2 million population, in most cases in California. And like I said, for some reason, Californians are taking their liberal, you know, left-wing Democratic views and uh, voting in the same people, the reason why they left the first time. Right. So, yeah, so like I said, I have not voted I don't think I'm ever going to be voting blue, although I am fair. I will say there's one blue uh, Democratic person that I like. I saw her on the Joe Rogan podcast, uh, Tulsi Galbert. Galbert. I, I actually like, like her. Yeah. I actually like her. There are some policies of Tulsi's that are just so not what I – like her health care policy, her, um, her open border policy, those two policies right. I cannot find. I but, yeah, like that's uh, the – Everything else, I believe she's fair. I, like, I think she's an anti-establishment Democrat. She is anti-establishment. She's also very anti-war. And I am, I am all, I think the reason, and a lot of people don't understand, they talk about, there's a guy, and I'm not going to say his name because I'm sure he listens to this. He watches every post that I make, every, anything that I ever mm. do. And he knows me in real life. Like, he, he knows me personally. And right. he attacks me. Every single time I say anything positive about Donald Trump and he's like, you're educated, you're a, a middle-aged white woman in middle America. Why would you ever vote for Donald mm. Trump? Like, he just cannot understand why I would vote for him. And I, I don't think people realize if you just, just take a muzzle and put it over his mouth and don't listen to the words that come out of his mouth all the time. Uh, for the most part, I actually really like the guy. I think he, I would love to sit down and just have a beer with him, even though he doesn't drink, and just talk to him for a few minutes. Because I think that he is, number one, one of the nicest guys in the world. I think given what I've heard and seen and and know about him based off of his life in entertainment, I think he's a really, really good, just a good human. But from the perspective of America first, that policy where you are going to stop sending all of our money to people who don't like us, stop sending pallets of cash to Iran, stop sending all of our manufacturing and absolutely everything that made this country great at one point in time to China to better advance their country. Stop. Right. Stop sending money to people who are using it to fund terrorism. And I think that he, you know, stop sending our soldiers to countries to die in wars that are are doing nothing for our country. They're not benefiting us in any way, shape, or form. And, you know, I on the flip side of that, I think a lot of people look at that and they're like, well, that's so callous. You don't care about other people. Nope, that's not it. I just, I <laughs> care about other satisfied. people. They're what never satisfied. Like, oh, yeah, no. They're never satisfied. Yeah. So, I said, I, said, I think with Trump, uh, economically, I would say, like, he's very beneficial for small businesses. Yeah. Um, also, like I said, most people are against him for giving a lot of corporate tax breaks. I think the thing with the corporate tax breaks is, like I said, to because of those corporate tax breaks, for example, with my company, um, 
They're able to give all their employees and their families free health insurance and dental and vision. We don't, we don't pay a dime out of our company because the company said because of these tax regulations that's better for businesses, um, we're able to afford to give it to you guys. And, you know, if, um, if, if it would have been otherwise for another, you know, like to say another, uh, that's not Trump, I'm pretty sure uh, our production would be down. Our our company would be like, you know, a fraction of the size because all our money is going to taxes and going to the politicians' pockets instead of going back into these, uh, you know, the old, small old businesses or mid-sized or large sizes to be able to um, pay these people better and and able to, you know, give them health benefits, you know, that stuff that, you know, if the government doesn't give it, get it done, then just give us the money and let us be able to um, use this money to pay for these people's employees, um, health care, and, you know, stuff that, and, you know, be able to afford to make a living. Like I said, that that's how it was in the, I believe in California in the 80s when Ronald Reagan was governor, you know, things were, you know, mostly free if you work for it. Yeah. And nowadays it's just like, you know, you're, you know, they believe in, you know, don't, we don't want to work. We just, you just want it for you to send it to me. Right. So there's a professor that did an experiment with his economics class right. and he said, okay, you guys believe in socialism. So when you take your first test, everybody's going to get the same grade, but we'll have to average it out. So you had, like, I don't know, maybe four or five people studied really, really hard. They got A pluses. You know, they got all the answers right. And there were some people who were like, well, I don't really have to try that hard or study hard because I'm going to get averaged out. So I'll just, you know, do the minimum and, and get whatever I get. And then eventually, so that really made the people who worked really hard upset and the people who didn't work really hard really happy. Well, by the end of the semester, I guess the people who were getting the A's were like, well, screw this. I'm not going to work hard if I'm not going to get anything right. out of it. And by the end of the semester, everybody was getting F's and everybody was bad. The people who were who were relying on the people to work really hard got really, really mad because they started getting really bad grades. And it was like, well, if you want good grades, right. then you need, to, you need to work hard for it. And I, I think right. that message is just what what people don't understand. They they want to just they want you to work hard for it so that they can take advantage of it. And that's that's just not how this world works. And that is full on socialism as finally that's his definition is um you know set, settling for mediocrity because you know you'll get rewarded the same. Yep. That's exactly what it is. Like, like I said, with the whole thing with, I believe there should be a balance of capitalism and socialism. Like I said, capitalism is, you know, free market. You know, I agree to sell you this for that, you know, businesses. And also, you know, if you're not able, if you don't make enough money, we have these social programs. You know, yep. we're able to help you out. Give, make us, you know, a fair standard living. Or like you know, I think social programs at some point, uh, I, we probably should end this call at this point. We've been on here for 109 minutes, but wow. I, I just want to touch on the social programs real fast. I yeah. I believe in social programs. I think that my family, you know, going through the grocery store as a, not a poor kid, but I certainly, my family didn't have a whole lot of money. And right. we'd go through the grocery store and I'd ask my mom. I would always ask for Chips Ahoy cookies. Well, we don't have enough money for that mm. this week. You know, and it was, 
never ever could afford the the extra stuff and and then you know life got better for my parents they both had good jobs and so my later years at home with my family were I was very well off and you know I'm so thankful that they worked hard and they gave us everything we ever needed or wanted but I think those programs are necessary the problem that I have with a lot of those programs is there's no limit to it you go on the government dole you're on the government dole until you decide you're not on it anymore I think that those social programs should be designed much like unemployment either we're going to give this to you we're going to give it to you for this amount of time to give you the opportunity to get back on your feet I think that's and I want to touch this on on my end on that part too before you know we can wrap it up. That's how it is with a lot of Democrat uh, politicians to um, Black American people is that they find it cheaper to give the uh, dear blacks you know um, you know food stamps or Section Eight housing and whatnot. It's cheaper because they know that they're going to get comfortable or whatnot and stay in that neighborhood instead of giving them a job and they'll fear that they're going to be moving out those neighborhoods and moving into their neighborhood. So. Like I said, for them, they find it much easier or cheaper to give them social programs where they know they're going to stay in that area and um, and will never get or never get out of it because they're comfortable in getting what they're getting for free. Um, Careful, Rodney. You're giving them a job democratic policies racist. So oh, it's, I it's racist. Do yeah. That, <laughs> oh, I don't want to get I don't want to get mobbed here, but that's the, so that, but that's exactly that's. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Like I think that's what how they are. They, it's, they don't want to create uh, opportunity for them, and they just want to keep feeding them so they can stay there. Dr. Carter G. Woodson, you know, founder of the Black History Month, says if if um, they'll keep feeding you, uh, whoever keeps feeding you, if you're not in the ghetto and they keep feeding you, you're never gonna get out the ghetto because you're dependent on the people to eat, and yeah. you don't get up and get a, and do better for yourself and move out that neighborhood. But like I said, that's I guess that's my problem with social programs for, you know, taking advantage of it or, you know, that's the only thing they're going to live off of. Right. All right, my yeah, man. So. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Yeah. I really appreciate you. And I'm I'm probably, I'm sure I'll have you on as time goes on and more stuff happens. Absolutely. I love your opinion and I've, I've, I've loved following you for a while now. So I'm so thankful that you yeah. did this with me. Absolutely. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. All right, Absolutely. Okay, thank you for having me. Again. You said 14 to 15. Oh, yeah, what's up? 10%. Uh, I got 14 to 15%. All right. 14 minimum. Like I said. I got 10 minimum. All right. You got well, 10 minimum. 10, 10 maximum. 10, 10 maximum. And it's yeah. for a six pack. If he gets below eight, I'll double it. I'll give you a small pack. <laughs> all right. That's, thank you so much, Roger. Right. Take care of yourself. Absolutely. You right, too. Bye-bye. Thank you again.